Chapter 10 The Real Christ His Prayerfulness Let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God hath made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom ye crucified. Acts chapter 2 verse 36 Who in the days of his flesh, having offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and having been heard for his godly fear. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. And it came to pass in these days that he went out into the mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. Luke chapter 6 verse 12. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took with him Peter and John and James, and went up into the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment became white and dazzling. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 29. And it came to pass, when he had sat down with them to meet, he took the bread and blessed, and breaking it he gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Luke chapter 24, verses 30 through 31. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. We have studied eleven marked characteristics of the real Christ, the Christ of God's own appointment, the Christ of actual fact as distinguished from the Christ of popular fancy and philosophical and mystical speculation. The real Christ is the Christ whose coming and conduct God allowed His chosen prophets of the Old Testament to see in anticipatory vision, and whose actual life on earth God inspired historians to record with marvelous accuracy and fullness in the astonishingly brief but complete records found in the four Gospels. We have studied His holiness, His love for God the Father, His love for men, His love for souls, His compassion, His meekness, His humility, His manliness, His imperturbable peace, His constant joyfulness, and His unconquerable optimism. We have not dwelt upon His geniality, His sociability, His friendliness, or his love for home life. Just let me point out that Christ Jesus, the real Christ, was no ascetic and no self-absorbed mystic. He loved the society of his fellow man. He was a welcome guest at social and festive gatherings. His first miracle, in which he manifested forth his glory, was performed at a wedding feast and for the distinct purpose of saving that joyous and festive occasion from ending in embarrassment, disappointment, and gloom. John chapter 2, verses 1-11 through 11. He returned many times to Bethany for the solace of congenial human companionship and the restful gladness of the pleasant joys of home life. John chapter 11, verse 5 Even on his last visit to Jerusalem, with the cross only six days ahead of him, he was the willing guest at a feast his friends in Bethany made for him. John chapter 12, verses 1-2 through 2. And when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane for its awful conflict and agonies, he longed for human companionship. He not only took the eleven to the garden, but he also took a chosen three into the deeper depths of its shadows to be with him as he prayed more earnestly. His sweat was as great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He was a winsome friend, as well as a mighty Savior and absolute Lord of majestic men. Did he not say during his last hours, Henceforth I call you not servants, but I have called you friends. John chapter 15 verse 15. 
As we look in this chapter at that wondrous picture of Him which God has given us in the Bible, I invite you to consider carefully and earnestly a characteristic that stands out more prominently than almost any other, which underlies all those already mentioned, His prayerfulness. I approach this subject with more hesitation than any other we have had, because it takes us into the holy of holies of His life, where we must take off our shoes and tread softly. In the brief record found in the four Gospels of the wondrous life of our Lord here on earth, the words pray and prayer are used at least twenty-five times in connection with Him. The fact of His praying is mentioned in other instances in addition to those where these words are found. The life of Christ, as we have seen in the past nine chapters, had many marked characteristics, but nothing is more marked than His prayerfulness. Some years ago, Charles Sheldon wrote a book, in his steps, what would Jesus do? That had an immense circulation in which he tried to picture what Jesus would do in various circumstances of life if he were on earth today. It was largely pure and entirely unwarranted imagination. But as the Lord Jesus is the same yesterday and today, yea, and forever, I know one thing that he would do if he were on earth today. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8. I know one activity in which he would expend much time and a great deal of physical and mental energy, praying. I do not know how he would manage a newspaper. I do not think he would manage one at all. But I know he would pray, pray, pray. And the one who does not spend much time in prayer is not walking in his steps and is not like him. How the Prayerfulness of the Real Christ Was Manifested let us consider first how the prayerfulness of the real Christ, not the Christ of man's imagination, but the Christ of undeniable historical fact, was manifested. Prayer Through the Night First, the prayerfulness of the real Christ, the Christ of the Bible, the Christ of God's own word, was manifested by his continuing all night in prayer to God. Luke tells us, And it came to pass in these days that he went out into the mountain to pray and he continued all night in prayer to God. Luke chapter 6 verse 12. On another occasion, we see our Lord in prayer from about sunset until after three o'clock in the morning. Mark chapter 6 verses 45 through 48. This whole night of prayer followed a day of intense and wearying activity when he had been so busy that he could not eat and had taken his disciples apart to rest a while. Mark chapter 6 verse 31. But the necessary and desired rest had been immediately broken in upon by the multitude who outran him, and the entire day had been spent in teaching and healing the sick and feeding the multitude. That exhausting day was followed not by sleep, but by a night of prayer. Mark chapter 6 verse 35 and verse 46. There is often a better way to recuperate exhausted energies than by sleeping. Often when we are so tired we cannot sleep and we waste time tossing to and fro upon our beds, if we would arise and pour out our hearts to God, we would get far more rest and go back to bed quieted. We would realize what the psalmist said, He giveth his beloved sleep. Psalm 127 verse 2 Of course, we must understand that not every night of our Lord's life was spent in prayer, but many nights were. Here, too, we might wisely follow him. 
early morning prayer. The prayerfulness of Christ Jesus was also manifested in his rising before daybreak and going to a solitary place to pray. Mark tells how he went to a solitary place the morning after a busy day and evening. During the day, he had taught in the synagogue at Capernaum and had healed a man possessed with an unclean spirit. Then he had gone to the house of Simon and Andrew and raised Simon's wife's mother from the sickbed, where she lay sick of a fever. As the sun set, the people, hearing of the wondrous things he had done, came flocking to Simon's house from every quarter, bringing unto him all that were sick and them that were possessed with demons. In fact, all the city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick with diverse diseases and cast out many demons. But as exhausting as the day had been, and as late as he had retired at night, long before daybreak, he had risen and gone far out into a desert place where he would not be disturbed, and there he prayed. Mark chapter 1 verses 29 through 35. Happy is the man who has learned this secret from the Lord, to get alone with God in the early morning while others are sleeping, that he may have undisturbed communion with God and ample time for prayer. If we would all do this, there would be more likeness to Christ in our character and conduct and more effectiveness in our service. Years ago, I read about one of the most successful statesmen England has ever produced, the first Earl of Cairns. Before his death, he had said that if he had any success in life, he attributed it more to this fact than any other. For years he had given the first two hours of every day to the study of the Word of God and prayer. When I was in England, I had the privilege of meeting the widow of Lord Cairns at dinner at Lord Kinnaird's house, and of taking her to the banquet. After the dinner was over, I said to her, Lady Cairns, I read some years ago that your husband said that if he had any success in life, he attributed it more to the fact that for years he had given the first two hours of every day to the study of the word of God and prayer. Is that true? Lady Cairns replied, I cannot say positively about the two hours, but I know that whatever hour of night we reached home from Parliament, I always went with him, and we always rode home together. Whether midnight, one, two, or three o'clock in the morning, he always rose at the same early hour in the morning. He shut himself up alone with his God and with his Bible. And she added, When he was a member of Lord Disraeli's cabinet and there was a stormy session, when my husband entered, Disraeli would say, Now we will have peace. The Earl of Cairns has come. Prayerful Preparation for Crises The prayerfulness of Christ Jesus was manifested by his preparing for all the crises and great events of his life by prayer. In Luke, we are told that it was as he was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Luke chapter 3 verses 21 through 22. So we see he prayed before his baptism with the Spirit and his entrance into his public ministry. In Mark, we see him praying before entering upon an evangelistic tour. Mark chapter 1 verses 35 through 36. Later in Luke, we see him spending a night in prayer before choosing the twelve whom he would train to be the leaders in the early church. Luke chapter 6 verses 12 through 13. Luke also tells us that it was after a special season of prayer with his disciples that he announced to them his approaching death. 
Luke chapter 9, verse 18, and verses 21 through 22. It is evident that he prepared for all the great crises of life by special seasons of intensive prayer. This is a lesson for us, a much-needed lesson. Some years ago, thirty denominations in this country undertook what they affirmed as the biggest thing the Church of Christ has ever undertaken. They put many millions of dollars into the preliminary campaign to raise the money. They did more extensive advertising than the greatest business corporations in the world have ever ventured upon. And what were their prayer preparations for this mighty event? The Christians of the land were urged in thousands of newspaper advertisements to give only five minutes to secret prayer on the day the campaign was launched. It would be ludicrous if it were not sad enough to almost break the heart of anyone who really knows the real Christ and the spirit and method of his life to not pray more than this. Praying Alone After Achievements The prayerfulness of the Christ of God was manifested by his retreating to pray alone after the great achievements of his life. We see this illustrated in Matthew. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. And when even was come, he was there alone. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. This was at the close of a day filled with some of the most marvelous displays of divine compassion and divine power in his whole life. He had healed multitudes of the sick by his word or his touch and crowned it all by a display of divine creative power by feeding five thousand men besides women and children with five small loaves and two small fishes. Matthew chapter 14 verses 19 through 21. The multitudes were carried away with an enthusiasm for him that knew no bounds. They wished to take him and make him king on the spot. But no, he wanted none of their applause and dismissed them. He dismissed the twelve also, and then went into a secluded part of the mountain to pray, remaining there nine hours alone with God in prayer. Why? First, that he might gather his strength. His miracles cost him something, an expenditure and loss of power, Mark chapter 5, verse 30. But furthermore, he wanted to guard against temptations to pride, self-satisfaction, or contentment with the work already achieved. Let's never forget that our Lord Jesus, while he was very God of very God, was also a real man, subject to the same temptations that we are, and in order to set us an example, he met them with the same weapons that we must use, the Word of God and prayer. What a lesson for us! With most of us, it is more common to pray before the great events of life than after them, but the latter is as important as the former. If we would really pray after the great achievements of life, we might go on to greater ones. But since we do not, we are either puffed up or exhausted by them, so we proceed to no greater achievements. Withdrawing from Busyness to Pray The prayerfulness of Christ Jesus was manifested by His withdrawing from the multitude when life was unusually busy and going into a solitary place to pray. For example, in Luke we read, But so much the more went abroad the report concerning him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed of their infirmities. But he withdrew himself in the deserts and prayed. Luke chapter 5, verses 15-16 through 16. How unlike him we are! We would have thought this to be the day of opportunity, 
the time to cultivate the crowd, the day to stay with them, the time to work and not to pray, as if praying were not the mightiest kind of working. But not so with our Lord. This was the time he needed to be alone with God. Some men are so busy that they can find no time to pray, but apparently the busier Christ's life was, the more crowded with necessary activity, the more he prayed. There were times when he had no time to eat, Mark chapter 3, verse 20, and occasions when he had no time for needed rest and sleep, Mark chapter 6, verses 31, 33, and 46. But he always took time to pray. The more the work crowded, the more he prayed. Many mighty men of God have learned this secret from Christ, but many other mighty men of God have lost their power because they did not learn this secret and have allowed increasing work to crowd out prayer. One of the mightiest men of God I ever knew lost much of his power in this way. Preparing for Temptation Through Prayer The prayerfulness of Christ Jesus was manifested by his preparing for the temptation he saw approaching by prayer. We see a remarkable illustration of this in Luke. And he came out and went, as his custom was, unto the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was parted from them about a stone's cast, and he kneeled down and prayed. Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 41. He prepared for the temptations he saw drawing near by prayer, so he was always victorious. The disciples, despite his solemn warning, slept while he prayed. So he stood, and they fell. The calm majesty of his bearing amid the awful onslaughts of Pilate's judgment hall and of Calvary was the outcome of the prayer, the struggle, the agony, and the victory of Gethsemane. Praying in the Midst of Ordinary Life The prayerfulness of Jesus Christ was manifested in his praying in the midst of the most ordinary matters of everyday life. Our attention is repeatedly called to the fact that he prayed in connection with the most ordinary meal, for example, Matthew chapter 14, verse 19. Indeed, his manner of praying in connection with his everyday meals was characteristic of his behavior. When the disciples on the road to Emmaus had failed to discover who he was, Though their hearts had burned within them while he spoke to them and opened the scriptures to them, they knew him instantly the moment he lifted his eyes to pray to God before breaking the bread. Luke chapter 24, verses 30 through 31. With most of us, it is for the little things that we most frequently forget to pray. Every step of Christ's life seems to have been accompanied and sanctified by prayer. His Last Words the prayerfulness of Jesus Christ was manifested by the last utterance of his earthly life being a prayer. This we see in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, where as he breathes his last and gives up his spirit to God, he cries, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And that was not the only prayer in those closing hours of his life spent on the cross, for he also prayed for the Father to forgive those who crucified him. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. His life had been a life of prayer, and with a prayer it came to its fitting close. Though our Lord Jesus undoubtedly was a lover of human society, nevertheless, in his deep sense of need for communion with God, we often see him fleeing from the crowds to the solitary place, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, and to the hidden recesses of the mountains, Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, to pray. 
Each of the four Gospels makes mention of his going to the mountains to pray, and in Luke chapter 22, verse 39, it is added, as his custom was. In his Imago Christi, Stalker has this suggestive comment. When he arrived in a town, his first thought was which was the shortest way to the mountain, just as ordinary travelers inquire where the most noted sites are and which is the best hotel. He prayed alone by himself, Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, with a chosen few, Luke chapter 9, verse 28, with the whole apostolic company, Luke chapter 9, verse 18, and in the midst of a great multitude, Matthew chapter 14, verse 19. How Jesus Prayed We shall get no adequate picture of the prayer life of the Christ of God without giving some consideration to the question of how he prayed. The Bible has much to say about that. With God's glory in view. First, Christ Jesus prayed with God's glory first in view, that God might be glorified by answering the prayer. For example, note that marvelous prayer he offered in the presence of his disciples before his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. He began his prayer with these words, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee. John chapter 17, verse 1. We see the same thing in the prayer he taught his disciples, which begins with these words, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. In Submission Second, Jesus Christ prayed in perfect submission to the Father's will. This we see in his cry of agony in the garden. O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Matthew chapter 26, verse 42. Standing, kneeling, lying. Third, as to the posture which he assumed in prayer, he sometimes prayed standing. John chapter 11, verses 41 through 42, and chapter 17, verse 1. Sometimes kneeling, Luke chapter 22, verse 41, and sometimes lying on his face before God, Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. If the sinless Son of God got down upon his knees, even upon his face before God, what attitude should we ordinary mortals assume as we go into God's presence? With intense earnestness. Jesus prayed with intense earnestness. We see this in Luke where we read, And being in an agony he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became as it were great drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Luke chapter 22 verse 44. The literal force of the word translated earnestly is stretched outedly. The idea is of the soul stretched out in the intensity of its desire toward God. We see the same thing in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, having offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and having been heard for his godly fear. The intense earnestness implied in these words comes out in two ways. First, in the words prayers and supplications. The word translated prayers is a strong and expressive word, meaning the definite expression of a definitely felt need. It means entreaties. The word translated supplications is found nowhere else in the New Testament. It is a peculiarly significant word and indicates imploring supplications. But the intense earnestness of our Lord's prayer comes out still more clearly in the words with strong crying and tears. 
The word here translated crying is a strong word, meaning outcry or clamor, the force of which is increased by the qualifying adjective strong. Literally translated, the words would read, He prayed with mighty outcry. Some consider it an attainment of superior faith to always be very calm in prayer and just take in childlike confidence what they ask. Those who say this have either gone beyond their master or do not know what Holy Spirit earnestness means. Not infrequently, their calm comes not from the Holy Spirit but from indifference. The Holy Spirit makes intercessions with groanings which cannot be uttered. Romans chapter 8 verse 26. In the view of the example of our Lord, we need to be careful not to confuse the laziness of indifference with the rest of faith. Any rest of faith that does not leave room for mighty conflicts in prayer and in action is not Christ-like. For a long time, our Lord Jesus prayed with a large outlay of time. He spent whole nights in prayer. We have already referred to this in interpreting Luke chapter 6, verse 12. The time element in prayer is of great importance. By the use of modern machinery, a man can do more in a minute than he once could do in hours. But no machinery has ever been invented, nor can be invented, by which the work of prayer can be expedited. Effective praying demands time, much time, and woe to the man whose accumulating activities lead him to curtail the time given to prayer. With Repeated Requests Jesus Christ prayed importunately. That is, he repeatedly asked for the same thing. We see this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 44, where the Holy Spirit tells us, He left them again and went away, and prayed a third time, saying again the same words. We see in the example of our Lord in this matter that it will not do to say that the failure to accept an answer after you ask the first time indicates a weakness of faith. It indicated no weakness of faith on the part of our Lord when in his intense earnestness and in the determination of faith he uttered precisely the same petition a third time. With Thanksgiving Our Lord prayed with thanksgiving. In John we read, So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou heardest me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the multitude that standeth around, I said it, that they may believe that thou didst send me. John chapter 11, verses 41 through 42. In this case, the thanksgiving was for an answer to prayer yet in the future, and that could only be seen by the eye of faith. With faith. Our Lord prayed believingly, with the absolute certainty that he had received from God the petition that he asked of him. We see this in the passage just quoted, where our Lord Jesus said, I thank thee that thou heardest me, though Lazarus still lay in the grave. His faith in God's answering his prayer was such that he thanked God for answering before the thing that he had asked was actually done. He believed. Indeed, he had no doubt. Indeed, he knew that the Father would grant his every request. We see John, the beloved disciple, following in the steps of his master's faith in 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And so we, too, should learn that when we approach God in prayer, 
resting on his promise and asking something according to his will, we must believe that we have received. Mark chapter 11 verse 24. What a striking contrast in the matter of prayer there is between the real Christ, Jesus Christ, and the Christ, the Christ principle of the so-called Christian scientists. Mrs. Mary Baker Grover Patterson Eddy scoffed at the thought that there was a personal God who answered prayer. What Christian scientists sometimes call prayer is not in any proper sense prayer at all. It is merely intense, concentrated, self-willed thinking, iterated and reiterated denial of the existence of the things from which they wish deliverance, whether it is sickness, pain, sin, death, or misfortune of any kind. Demonstrating the truth, they sometimes called it, the devil suggested substitute for prayer that had landed many in their graves and many others in divorce courts, including the founder, and many others ended up in the insane asylum. I have a copy of Science and Health from a man who said Christian science had robbed him of his wife and daughter and wrecked his home. In giving me the book, he said, This has nearly landed me in the insane asylum. But the true Christ, the Christ of God, the Lord Jesus, really prayed, and by his prayers he worked miracles, healed the sick, cast out demons, raised the dead, escaped death himself, glorified God, and finished the work God gave him to do. We have come to the end of our studies of the wonderful picture of the real Christ that God has given us in his word. Let's follow him. Let's follow him in his holiness. Let's follow him in his love for the Father, his love for men, and his love for souls. Let's follow him in his compassion, his meekness, his humility, and his robust manliness. Let's follow him in his imperturbable peace, his constant joyfulness, and his unconquerable optimism. Above all, let's follow him in his prayerfulness. That prayerfulness was in many ways the secret of all the other beauties and glories of that matchless life, that divine life, lived as a real man here on this earth, under the same conditions that you and I live under. He lived with the same temptations and with the complete victory that can also be yours and mine. And while we pray intensely, often in long vigils in the solitary place alone with God, Let's never forget that closing prayer that God's Word teaches us, our prayer of response to the closing promise of God's Word. Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Revelation chapter 22 verse 20. For when He comes, we shall be perfected in holiness, in love for the Father, in love for our fellow man, in love for souls, in compassion, in meekness, in humility, in manliness, in peace, in joy, in optimism, and in every grace and perfection and glory of Christ's character. For when He comes, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him even as He is. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2.